0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Taylor Kuhn. We're going to talk about how he has built multifamily wealth along his journey. Before we begin, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you want to create tactical content that delivers, head over to knightly.productions and see how we can help you create that content. Taylor, welcome to the show, my friend. Yeah. Thank you so much, Zach. appreciate appreciate you having me here. I'm excited about this when we go a little bit ways back where you launched a podcast here recently, which is a big thing we're going to talk about, of course. But before we dive into it, I want to give the audience a little bit of a background on you where you have a little bit of a different path. You're still a younger guy, uh, mid-20s. You you went to college for mechanical engineering. Um, You were a professional hip-hop dancer. You had a, a gig on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Um, You've had all these different aspects of your journey where moving through all of that, moving out of college into the engineering space, realize it wasn't necessarily for you. And you moved into multifamily real estate investing where you want to become strong, where you want to use it to be a strong and efficient vehicle to becoming financially free. And then also... Be a part of a bigger piece of that where you have your podcast, Multifamily Artist Podcast, where you're on a mission to learn from multifamily real estate investors and hear how they have built generational wealth. Before we dive too far into that part of the conversation, go ahead and tell the audience a little bit more about yourself that we may not know.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I sometimes like to think of myself um, as. Well, you, you know what? That sounds a little bit pretentious, but uh, the Asian that kind of does it all. <laughs> there, the, there's the Asian kid that, that was good at um, like dancing or the arts. But then there's also like the really good Asian kid, Filipino kid that was really into their studies. Um, so like like you said, like I studied mechanical engineering and, you know, I was looking for something stable after college just to set myself up for the future. But then I also did have this passion for hip hop, dancing and you know, if the possibility to, to create that as a career was something cool that, that I really looked forward to. And so throughout college, I was training uh, with a lot of the different studios out there, a lot of different choreographers out there. And, and I actually was able to land a gig on Jimmy Kimmel Live as backup for a couple artists and, you know, what's funny is like that opportunity, I felt like was was supposed to be the opportunity that started to open up a lot of doors. And that was like going to be the 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 wow in uh, that accelerated my dance career. But what sucked about that whole experience was that I actually never got paid from that experience. Uh, everybody else got paid because they're represented by an agent. And so since I was still up and coming, I didn't have an agency. And so. Uh, to be honest, I believe that the choreographer pocketed the money uh, and and I didn't get anything. And, and so in my mind, I thought that just based on that experience, if that could happen on a small scale for, I think it was like a thousand bucks, it could happen all across the board, moving forward into the dance industry where it wasn't stable. And, and even at that time too, I wasn't really sure where the paycheck was coming from. So Granted, like I still had mechanical engineering as a backup, but that was still just like my first little instance where I, I needed to know that I needed to take care of my financial situation um, in order for me to be able to build this dream of being able to take care of my family um, and make sure that, that I'm well off in the future. And you've done that
0: by creating In Rhythm Multifamily. It's your real estate investing firm, and then of course this podcast we talked about. Where what's what's interesting is within Rhythm with your with your podcast, where you're you're focused on the artists of everything. Obviously, like yes, you got screwed over in that instance and in your hip hop career where you didn't necessarily see that type of financial reward, but you're bringing, you're still maintaining that, right? You're still using that as part of your branding. You're still, that's who you are as you've grown up and you're kind of integrating that now more into everything else you're doing, right?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, to be honest, I wasn't, at first I really didn't want to share that I was a profession. I was trying to be a professional hip hop dancer moving into the industry just because I thought it was seeing, as unprofessional. I mean, people are always coming up to me saying like, Oh, can you do this TikTok move? Or, uh, Hey, can you do a little dance for me? And I was a little bit afraid to be vulnerable. And, uh, so just the idea behind the multifamily artists podcast, and then just that brand, the, the key term that, that we tokened was, uh, We want to find how we create their rhythm and create our own sound investments. Well, in any journey, I feel like a lot of different people are artists, especially within the multifamily industry. Uh, As a dancer, you go into it and it's extremely uncomfortable. It's extremely vulnerable. You're trying to move your body in so many different ways that you've never thought that you could even move it before. And you feel absolutely dumb just trying to do it translating that into like, let's say jumping into multifamily, there's like so much to learn and there's so much discomfort moving into and talking to different people within the industry where they're, are going to be those growing pains, but it's still the same journey that a dancer takes in order to perfect his craft as a multifamily investor would take to perfect their craft in the industry.
0: And what's interesting about that is such a like unconventional route to go into multifamily, um, and you mentioned something earlier where you were talking about the Asian kid that does it all, and I I know you on a more personal level, of course the audience does not, but um, as an Asian that has come from a culture that it might be a little bit tougher to break into or break out of where that mechanical engineering does not sound anything like hip hop dancing, right? (laughs) Has there been like family that's been supportive? Is it one that you're kind of trying to break out of that construct of what the cultural expectations are? How have you kind of gone through that transition into from, from hip hop to dancing and engineering into multifamily? How's that transition been for you?
1: You know, honestly, it was a, a nice little mix of having just like the traditional Filipino uh, way of growing up and having like a little bit more of the entrepreneurial way of growing up. Cause like, you can say like with traditional Filipinos, you're going to be a nurse engineer or doctor or um, whatever stereotype there is out there, but it's, it's focused on having a stable job. And, um, and, you know, I guess like a little bit more backgrounds with just the idea behind the Filipino culture. And actually, I was talking to another real estate investor, uh, my friend JN Talk, who happened to be Filipino. And we were talking about how growing up over in the Philippines, like and in I visited uh, what, back in 2013, being able to create a life really out of nothing. Um, I mean, the the people that were over there. I mean, they, it was a whole level of poverty that I've never really seen or experienced. And um, and I'm also I'm not saying that my grandparents were like extremely impoverished <laughs> over there. Uh, but like you could see that they were able to make something uh, and be grateful for something so little. And that is something that I really uh, enjoy just about the Filipino cultures, that they're able to uh, be extremely grateful and also hospitable f- uh, for the people around them. And so, you know, when they came to America and trying to create a better life, there was just this idea of having that stable job and also being able to take care of their family, but not in a way of really taking risks. The The entrepreneurial side is, was a little bit different because they were so used to just like trying to conserve and save and take what they have and, and making the best out of it. So- that was the traditional side on the other side of just like being a Filipino American uh, there was the, where there was like kids like me where they wanted to be a Jabbawocke and, and make it on the big stage, you know, put on the mask uh, and, and dance professionally. And so, I mean, growing up and having both of them, having both of them, I mean, it, there was always just like this curiosity with the Jabbawocke side, uh, with the dancer side, with the artist side, because I knew, I sort of like knew the future of what it would take and what would happen if I decided to go to the engineering. When I was working at one of the engineering firms, I saw people stay there for many, many years. And I figured if I was there for that long, this is exactly where I was going to be, right? So there's always just this curiosity about like, what if, what if, what if? I mean, to be honest, I really just chased that curiosity. I took both uh, like views of of the Filipino American perspective with a grain of salt because I kind of, I knew what I wanted and I knew what I wanted to try. And, you know, whether it was my parents or grandparents or other individuals outside that were influencing me, I knew that they weren't necessarily in the position that I wanted to be in. Uh, And I figured if I take their advice, I would be going along the same path they would be going. Um, So really just having that high level of self-awareness and understanding where their decision-making is coming from, where their choices are coming from. And even with parents, I mean, parents, they want the best for you and uh, they want to make sure that you're protected. And so as I am venturing off into this multifamily uh, real estate industry, there's always this uh, concern and worry that I'm going to get myself hurt or I'm going to be in be in some form of trouble years years later on so i, I know i just gave you a long-winded uh history lesson <laughs> about about um just like growing up and, and taking both different perspectives but i mean this is uh you know just having that hyper self self-awareness was was huge um in moving forward
0: and I imagine it hasn't always been that way for you, right? As a, as a younger guy, I'm sure, especially as a hip hop dancer, right? So many things have to be perfect. So many things have to like really represent perfection attached to being and getting to that next level. What have you done over the years? What have you found to be kind of like that outlet for maintaining motivation? Is there something that you've kind of like turned to that like this will reset me and get me back into my mindset to succeed?
1: You know, that is a great question just because mo- motivation, in my opinion, comes and goes. And I feel like to be motivated all the time and go like 200 percent is extremely difficult because, I mean, there are most definitely points where like, I absolutely burn out and I have to take like a week or two weeks just to re- recuperate and recollect. Um, you know, honestly, I just had that big why. Uh, And and I think I was so curious about just like what was on the other side that I would just like chase it and, and go for it no matter what. Um, But also at the same time too, I mean, to be honest, I think I, I grew up uh, just having a work ethic and knowing that I need to work. So yeah, I I guess like a little bit of a backstory. ah, And now being vulnerable on this podcast Uh, My parents were divorced and, you know, it was it wasn't the best situation growing up. And so, like, for me, what I would like to do is I would really just try and hustle and not be at the house at a lot at a lot of the time and just try and make a name for myself and like take accountability for, for my actions. Even, even at a young age, whether I was dancing, I was acting, I was a basketball player, volleyball player, or in any extracurricular clubs, I really just wanted to get away. And so I think that work ethic uh, was sort of like the foundation behind motivation. Like, you know, I could, as long as I had that work ethic, I could be moving towards, anything that I wanted, whether I was unmotiv- unmotivated or motivated, really just taught me to dig, to to continue to push forward. Where'd that
0: work ethic come from? Is that something that is like a cultural thing where y'all you're just raised in that background where your, your grandparents, your folks were just hustling all the time, or is this something that you really had to like develop yourself where it wasn't really kind of a, a handed down example among your family?
1: You know, Right off the bat, I'm not, nece- I'm not necessarily sure because I, I, I personally don't think it was handed down. Um, I guess it, you could see it coming from the Filipino culture, like giving it to to my grandparents. Like they came from the Philippines and they were hustling for absolutely nothing. I mean, of course, they came over uh, legally um, and they had a visa and everything, <laughs> everything like that. Uh, but you know, I, I guess it was it was hearing my parents of just like, if you work hard, like good things will, will come. And and I think that is a pretty traditional uh, narrative across a lot of different Asian cultures uh, is if you work hard, it'll come. But what I don't think that uh, is really emphasized on is working smarter, not harder. Um, and, and I think that even brings back into the point of just like, you know, they, they still emphasize on trying to get a stable job and having stable benefits. Um, and if you work hard, like you're going to be okay and taken care of and, and be able to live, you know, a comfortable life.
0: You mentioned working smarter, not necessarily harder, where you're being a little bit more tactical and how you're approaching that. What are some of the resources you've used to, I mean, you're transitioning across so many different industries at this point and moving into this multifamily space. What are some of those resources you've used to learn, to grow, to kind of get that new knowledge that has helped you continue
1: that? Yeah. Yeah. No, great question. So, I mean, one of the, one of the resources, to be honest, was, was YouTube. YouTube was a, a huge, res- and I, I feel like it's, it's pretty cliche in talking about then And everybody says like, Oh, you can learn everything on YouTube. But in reality, like you can really learn a lot from YouTube. And actually that's, that's how I learned uh, how to dance because I, I really wanted to impress this girl back in middle school. And so, and so I, I looked up dancing and I feel like that's where a lot of the, the guy dancers come into the game is, you know, they just want to impress people and somehow it just takes off. But, you know, even like transitioning over into multifamily real estate and going across industries, YouTube is such a, a such an amazing platform where people that are in the industry can be teaching something um, and, uh, you know, gaining credibility in, in any way, shape or form. But, you know, aside from just like education, like YouTube or books or podcasts or whatever, uh, I think the next resource that really propelled me was the people that I actually met within those industries. So picking the, the minds of, you know, professional dancers that were actually doing what I was doing um, and carrying that over to another industry, picking the minds of multifamily real estate investors and figuring out how they were doing what I want to be doing. Um, And not necessarily like saying, Oh, mentor me and, and trying to find um, someone just to like hold your hands, but just being in, Going back to that whole curiosity theme, it's like still just chasing that curiosity and just asking questions um, and figuring out how to maneuver yourself uh, to push yourself forward.
0: Yeah. And it's something I find kind of interesting about you where I think my generation, your generation, we're, we're in that cusp of... Um, not asking intelligent questions, right? A lot of things, a great book I love is good leaders ask great questions. And in order to gain that knowledge, you don't want to just ask a generalized question. You want to ask a specific question for a specific end so that you're not wasting somebody's time as you're asking these questions and you're going through things. What have you found as that feedback? Have you been able to get good feedback from people? Is it something that like more people that are going through this transition should feel comfortable with asking these questions because it's usually been pretty good feedback for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, even, even when it comes to asking general questions, and I mean, here's, um, here's another hot take too, from, you know, the, that I just thought of when you were bringing that up is when it comes to communication, especially like our generation, and then also um, the generation below is that the the form of communication is extremely changed. And there's always something behind what we say. Uh, and we're almost afraid of what's going to happen when we say that, you know, so like, you know, with me posting something on social media, I don't want to sound stupid or sound like an idiot. And so I'm really just trying to push my best foot forward and almost like have a, um, a perfect post, um, and something that I love. And I can take that even to, to questions, right? If I'm going to meet my, my mentor, I want to make sure that I don't ask a, a stupid question. But I also do feel like you need to ask the dumb questions in the beginning or general questions, maybe not to the person that you're trying to talk to, but with people that are in like similar positions and trying, like if it's basic enough, try and find that answer for yourself instead of looking too stupid, I guess, <laughs> in front of, in front of your mess or too, or too general. Um, and, and so I think it's just like being able to, to have that transparency and vulnerability just to muster up, to be able to ask that question, regardless of whether it was dumb or not. I know I kind of just went back and forth saying like, don't ask stupid questions, but then also be okay to ask stupid questions. But in the end, I would definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to take the routes of just, if it's a stupid question. Just ask it anyways you're going to get your answer.
0: I mean, that's the thing, right? You got to be able to ask those questions. You got to have the courage to look dumb sometimes when in reality, I think a lot of people that are in that mentor space that have been doing it for a while, you know, it turns into almost, and and you can even craft it like, oh man, I'm really impressed that you've done this. So you're like patting that ego a little bit. Right. And then it might, Seem like a dumb question to you, but it's something that they might think of like, yeah, I remember back in, I'm getting my first deal where I'm getting that first syndication. where all of a sudden it's, it's not just a dumb question, quote unquote, it turns into a mentor teaching moment because you're showing a willingness to learn compared to thinking, you know, it all, which I think our generation is really bad about, right? We know everything. And because of the internet, I guess we do know everything to an extent, but like showing that, I think it it probably would pay dividends. Uh, And I know for me, it does where you can ask those good questions and show that you're willing to learn.
1: Right. And and also too, like when asking those good questions or being able to like be transparent enough to ask the questions, I think there's a, there's a lot of weight in how the, Person response. So, so like quick story. And actually, what's funny is I never really told this story to anybody at all, except for for my girlfriend, uh, maybe a couple of family members. But um, when I was studying multifamily, like I took this boot camp and I met um a lot of other high net worth individuals, they um they had this one of these online mixtures, for example, like promoting the boot camp scene. Um how well the boot camp is and what it has done for people. And like, arguably, it, you know, I'm pretty sure that I was the youngest in there and everybody was way older, like 20 years, 30 years within that group. And I just remember feeling so dumb because I was asking just these dumb questions. Like I, I would ask the, the stupid questions, right? But also at the same time, like I felt like they didn't really give me a time of day either just because I was young and I didn't really have any money. Um, And so uh, actually based on that experience, I actually took a break from it because I felt so discouraged where it's like, what am I even doing here? Like um, I feel judged like no other. And I mean, I guess it can't really be possible for, or these were the thoughts that were coming to my head. It can't really be possible for a young kid uh, like me trying to jump into this industry because I don't have money, don't have experience, and nobody wants to really uh, take their time on me. Uh, and so I, I took a little bit of a break because I was afraid uh, to, to really push forward. So then fast forward, I actually joined uh, and, and met up with this other uh, group. And The people were so like the people there were so receptive to being able to like help out and answer any questions that I had, regardless of my age, regardless of how much money I had. And so just like having that experience and sort of like encouraged and then also meeting other like young people like myself to push forward, like really like helps me to, to be able to take that step and, and to continue to even ask more questions. Uh, and, I, and so like, I guess to wrap up my whole long-winded answer here, like could being able to control your environment and surrounding yourself with people that you like, I feel like is, is absolutely huge. Um, and being able to ask questions uh, to the people that you wanna be like, I think is, is, is huge. So, what's that next
0: question you're going to ask? What's that next thing you're learning about that you want to further everything you're doing in multifamily?
1: So, I mean, right now, um, it's it's really about how the deals are being put together. So, like, I created in rhythm and to be like super honest and transparent. Like, I haven't done any deals. Like, I don't have any real estate uh, in the game at this moment. But one thing that I am doing is I'm aligning myself with all these just other individuals that have done this. So like I've joined a couple different masterminds and I'm looking to partner up and uh, you know, I've been studying and uh, studying underwriting, studying how to build these relationships with brokers, studying how to build these relationships with passive investors. Um, And now like in terms of like learning, it's like really learning the actions put into place in order to take deals down and start building generational wealth for my family.
0: I Absolutely love that. And I I think it's such a great path for you to be on, especially um, when you launch your podcast. I mean, I imagine that has helped you develop both of the ask more questions, develop your network, develop that knowledge base. I mean, it's kind of like a self-study journey, learning more about multifamily. Have you seen that to be a really rewarding piece of uh, like growing that network and really growing that knowledge base?
1: Absolutely. And uh, to be honest, just starting the podcast, um, of course, in a, in a, in the right way, in a professional way, would has exceeded my expectations then from what um, I expected it to be like, I I remember when I first just had the idea, I'm not going to lie. I was, I was pretty scared, but I also just wanted to come out with a product regardless. And even if it was bad or um, looks like a rookie, I thought it would just I'd be able to, to take it. And, you know, it's just a, a way for people to talk to me. But, you know, investing that time in the podcast um, and doing it in a professional way, uh, having cool graphics, having like a nice video editor, um, and asking professional questions that you, I am definitely trying to cater to like these other business podcasts. Like, it's, it, it's helped me get my foot in the door, even though I'm not a professional in the industry. And, um, you know, to your point too, like I wouldn't be able to have any of these conversations with some of the guests that I've had, unless I had a podcast. Um, Yeah. It's, it's one thing where you're trying to get an hour coaching call from somebody, but it's a completely other thing than um, saying, Hey, I'd love to bring you on share your message on a podcast um, and blast their message to an audience that they don't even think they've, they could have tapped before.
0: I absolutely love that. And I think it's, uh, I know I've listened to several episodes and so such a great path that you're on. I'll give you the opportunity, tell the audience where they can best find you, your website, your podcast, any resources, or, or, uh, any, even if you have any of those good old, uh, dancing videos out on IG, so <laughs> let
1: them know where they can uh, hunt you down and connect with you. Yeah, so if you want to see my dancing videos, actually, uh, most of them I put up on IG. If you really, really dig, you can find them on YouTube. But you're not gonna find my name in there, so you're really gonna to have to look in my face and and try and pinpoint me there from a uh, Chapkus or Snow Globe, um, you know, just to name a few, a few dance crews. Uh, but not all of them are there, just because some are like, oof, should I say this? Some are like sexy pieces, and I'm just, you know, I, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to like seduce any of my, my real estate investors. Y'all heard in it. Anyway, sexy it pieces are there. <laughs> Go find them. <laughs> no, well, they're not there. Cause I, I actually archived them. Cause they're I there. We'll share. find
0: them. Go hunt them down.
1: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Well, you know, what's funny is they, they are on YouTube in in some space, but nothing with my name on there. So you're going to have to do some digging, but, um, aside, aside from that, like follow me on, on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, at taylor underscore ku or just taylor ku uh, and then i also have a website you can uh, check out the podcast as well and see some of my favorite books podcasts and and, and other resources that i really love at in rhythm and uh I would assume that's in the show notes too. So Always. To uh, it'll Yeah, because you
0: know I can't spell that <laughs> okay, one. So it'll cool. be in the show notes. I encourage the audience. Um, go check out Taylor. See everything he's up to. See this amazing journey he's been on. And of course, come back this Friday for Tactical Friday, where he's going to give us some advice on how to break this mold that he is actually going through currently. Taylor, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Thank you so much for having me, Zach. I appreciate you bringing me onto the show. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Tactical Leadership Podcast, and I hope you got a ton of value out of what we talked about today. I also want to remind you that this show is brought to you by Night Protection Services. If you're a leader in a small to mid-sized business that does 5 to $10 million a year in revenue and want to improve retention costs, which could actually add up to being twice your employee's salary, all through creating a safer work environment and saving up to 25% in insurance costs, be sure to visit knightprotectionllc.com.